I just don't know what to do. What do you mean? Like, what do we say? I don't know. Introduce yourself. You introduce yourself. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Welcome to our podcast, True Crimes and Storytimes. I'm Michelle. And I'm Kirsten. And today, I Bonnie and Clyde Part 2. Oh. I think came out. Sorry, go ahead. And today, <laughs> Bonnie and Clyde Part 2. Part 2. So, we're just going to jump right in. We ain't really got anything to say. Nope. Except, uh, I'm going to say, go subscribe to our Patreon. Here we go. There we go. If you guys are there's lots of extra to. stuff on there. If you subscribe, mm-hmm, we'll send you mm-hmm. stickers exclusively from us. Yeah, we're trying to figure out um how to like branch, not branch. How, what program to use for our videos and stuff. So just stay tuned for that. But mm-hmm. all of our unedited episodes are posted on there. At least the audio, stickers, notes, everything like that's posted on there. Like for a bonus now. episode that we're posting today today which well, will actually, actually already be out when you're listening to this so yeah. if you go subscribe to the patreon there's an it came out sunday extra episode on there that only you will be able to listen to yep so if you want extra content go ahead go do that and we're also going to be doing a mukbang once a month mm-hmm. that will be posted i forget the date i don't know anyways Anyways, but if it'll you be want on it, there. Look, look at our Patreon. Yes, be on the link tree. Maybe we should do like the first five or ten people will shout you out on the podcast if you they subscribe get a to shout the out Patreon. on the podcast. Anyways, okay. Well, never mind. Yeah, <laughs> we'll shout you out on the podcast if you subscribe. Yep. Every week we'll do shout outs to our new Patreon. Patreons. <laughs> I'm tired today, guys. I can tell. All right. <laughs> Let's just get into it. Yep. So, where we left off, um, Bonnie got her first warrant for murder. Mm-hmm. So, now we're going to talk about their final run. So, on January 16th of 1934, Clyde orchestrated the escape of Raymond, Henry, and several others in the East Ham breakout, which is the prison that he was at. Gotcha. That all the bad things happened to him. So the raid generated negative publicity for Texas. Clyde seemed to have achieved what historian Phillips suggests was his overriding goal. Revenge on the Texas Department of Corrections for his mistreatment while being an inmate. I can see that. Joe Palmer, a member of the Barrow Gang, shot Major Joe Croson during his escape. Croson died a few days later in the hospital. This attack attracted the full power of the Texas and federal government to the manhunt for Clyde and Bonnie. While Croson struggled for life, prison chief Lee Simmons reportedly promised him that all persons involved in the breakout would be hunted down and killed. The Texas Department of Corrections contacted former Texas Ranger Captain Frank Hamer and persuaded him to hunt down the Barrow Gang. He was retired at the time, but he accepted the assignment as a Texas Highway Patrol officer. He was secondarily assigned to the prison system as a special investigator, and he was given the specific task of taking down the Barrow Gang. 
Hamer was tall, burly, and taciturn. 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 Sorry. <laughs> Unimpressed by authority and driven by an inflexible adherence to right or what he thinks is right. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> For 20 years, he had been feared and admired throughout Texas as the walking embodiment of the one riot, one ranger ethos. He had acquired a formidable reputation as a result of several spectacular captures and the shooting of a number of Texas criminals. Hmm. He was officially credited with 53 kills and suffered 17 wounds. Damn. Yeah. Prison boss Simmons always said publicly that Hamer had been his first choice, although there is evidence that he first approached two other rangers, both of whom declined because they were reluctant to shoot a woman. I mean, yeah, but... She's a criminal, criminal just like the rest criminal, of them. Yeah. yeah. Starting on February 10th, Hamer became the constant shadow of Clyde and Bonnie. He was living out of his car, just a town or two behind them. Barrow and Methman, Henry Methman, killed Highway Patrolman H.D. Murphy and Edward Bryant Wheeler on Easter Sunday, April 1st, 1934. Man. This was at the intersection of Route 114 and Dove Road near Grapevine, Texas, which is now South Lake, Texas. Don't know where that's at, but okay. Me either. I was <laughs> going to put a picture, but I forgot. Nice. <laughs> An eyewitness account said that Clyde and Bonnie fired the fatal shots. This story received widespread coverage. Henry later claimed that he fired the first shot after mistakenly assuming that Clyde wanted the officers killed. Clyde joined in, firing at Patrolman Murphy. During the spring season, the grapevine killings were told with exaggerated detail, affecting public perception. Oh, sorry. And the public opinion turned against the couple after the grapevine murders and resulted in negative publicity. All four Dallas Daily Papers seized on the story told by an eyewitness, a farmer who claimed to have seen Bonnie laugh at the way that Murphy's head quote, bounced like a rubber ball on the ground as she shot him. Yikes. The stories claim that police found a cigar butt with tiny teeth marks, supposedly those of Bonnie. But it's funny, though, because remember earlier I said that she didn't actually smoke cigars. She just yeah. did it for satire. So And tiny teeth marks? Right. That Tiny teeth not... marks are, like, from a toddler. Yeah. And, like, who's to say that this woman doesn't have gigantic teeth? Right. She could have some buck teeth, and we man, wouldn't even know. Man, I mean, I can't tell a person if they're male or female just by their teeth. Yeah, right. So, several days later, H.D. Murphy's fiance wore her intended wedding dress to his funeral, attracting photos and newspaper coverage. Oh, so they were supposed to get married. Mm. And so she wore the wedding dress yep. to the funeral. That's kind of... She's just wanting more news coverage. Yeah. I mean, I see the, I see the thought behind it, but... The eyewitness's ever-changing story was soon discredited, but the massive negative publicity increased the want for the extermination of the Barrow Gang. The Barrow Gang. <laughs> the outcry galvanized the authorities into action, and Highway Patrol boss L.G. Fares offered a reward of 1000 for the dead bodies of the Grapevine Slayers. Not their capture, just the bodies. So he didn't care if they were dead or alive. The Barrow Gang. Yeah. Or... Grapevine Slayers. A thousand dollars back yeah. then? That's a lot that's of freaking money. That's a lot money. of money. That'd probably be equivalent to like ten thousand dollars. I want to look now. it up real quick. Yeah. This was 1930s. Mm-hmm. 
1000 in 1930 is equivalent in purchasing power to about $16,835.21 today. Wow. Yeah. That's right. That's like 16 times. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Texas Governor M.A. Ferguson, or Ma Ferguson, it didn't really have periods in it, so not really sure, added another reward for 500 of 500. I'm going to just start that. <laughs> Texas Governor M.A. Ferguson added another reward of 500 for each of the two killers, which meant that for the first time, there was a specific price on Bonnie's head since she was so widely believed to have shot H.D. Murphy. Public hostility increased five days later when Clyde and Henry murdered 60-year-old Constable William Cal Campbell, a widower and father near Commerce, Oklahoma. The kidnapped Commerce Police Chief Percy Boyd crossed the state line into Kansas and let him go, giving him a clean shirt, a few dollars, and a request from Bonnie to tell the world that she did not smoke cigars. Hmm. Percy identified both Connie Clonny? Clonny. <laughs> I did that in the last episode, too. Both Clyde and Bonnie to authorities, but he never learned Henry's name. The resultant arrest warrant for the Campbell murder specified Clyde Barrow, Bonnie Parker, and John Doe. So they didn't know Henry Methvin's name at this time. Okay. Oh, also a question. Yes. So they believed she's the one that shot H.D. Murphy mm-hmm. based on the cigar they found. Yeah. And that's the only and it's evidence been they have. Yeah. And okay. it's been discredited, too. Okay. So... Historian Knight writes, for the first time, Bonnie was seen as a killer, actually pulling the trigger, just like Clyde. Whatever chance she had for clemency had just been reduced. The Dallas Journal ran a cartoon on its editorial page showing an empty electric chair with a sign on it saying reserved, adding the words Clyde and Bonnie. And I did put that picture in the notes. And I will post it on the socials also. Yeah. Okay, so... Clyde and, Clyde and Bonnie were killed on May 23, 1934, on a rural road in Benville Parish, Louisiana. Frank, who had begun tracking the gang on February 12th, led the posse. He had studied the gang's movements. He found that they swung in a circle, skirting the edges of five Midwestern states, exploiting the state line rule, which prevented officers from pursuing a fugitive into another jurisdiction. If you watch the movie, The mm-hmm. Highwaymen, mm-hmm. they go into a lot of detail about, like, where exactly they went, like, oh, okay. between all the states, like, going home to their, they would call and be like, oh, I'm going to home for dinner or something like that, and they knew that that was, like, a sign of where they were going to go, and that's how they, gotcha. sorry, I didn't mean to get ahead, but, um, you said they swung in a circle skirting the edges of five Yeah, I didn't really put that states. in there. But. Yeah, they did that. It's a really oh, good movie, cool. and you, you should watch it. Clyde was consistent in his movements, so Frank's, so Frank's, so Frank charted his path and predicted where he would go. Yeah. The gang's itinerary centered on family visits. They were due to see Henry's family in Louisiana. In case they were separated, Clyde had designated Henry's parents' residence as a rendezvous. Henry became separated from the rest of the gang in Shreveport, Louisiana. Hamer's posse was composed of six men, Texas officers Hamer, Hinton, Alcorn, and B.M. Maney Gold and Louisiana officers Henderson Jordan and Prentice Morrill Oakley. That's a mouthful. Mm-hmm. And that's what I was talking about. Uh, they were supposed to see Henry's family in Louisiana. Gotcha. Yeah, so they would like call or I think or something like that. On May 21st, the four posse members from Texas were in Shreveport when they learned that Clyde and Bonnie were planning to, a visit to Beanville Parish that evening with Henry. 
The full posse set up an ambush along Louisiana State Highway 154 south of Gibson, Louisiana, towards Sales, Louisiana. Hinton recounted that their group was in place by 9 p.m. They waited through the whole next day, which was May 22nd, with no sign of the remaining gang members, but other accounts said that the officers set up on the evening of May 22nd. So it's not really... Mm-hmm. We don't really know. At approximately 9.15 a.m. on May 23rd, the posse were still concealed in the bushes and almost ready to give up when they heard the Ford V8 Clyde was driving approach at high speed. In their official report, they stated they had persuaded Ivy Methvin to position his truck along the shoulder of the road that morning. So, Henry's... I can't remember how he's related to Henry, but Henry's family. Mm Mm-hmm. They hoped Clyde would stop to speak with him, putting his vehicle close to the posse's position in the bushes. When Clyde fell into the trap, the lawman opened fire while the vehicle was still moving. Oakley fired first, probably before any order to do so, and Clyde was killed instantly by Oakley's headshot. So, he got him first 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 shot, shot, headshot. Dang. Hinton reported hearing Bonnie scream, and the officers fired about 130 rounds, entering entering, emptying their weapons into the car. Wow. Many of Bonnie and Clyde's wounds would have been fatal, yet the two had survived several bullet wounds over the years in their confrontations with the law, so they wanted to make sure. Right. The bullet-ridden deluxe, originally owned by Ruth Warren of Topeka, Kansas, was later exhibited at carnivals and fairs, then sold as a collector's item. In 1988, the Prim Valley Resort and Casino in Las Vegas purchased it for some two hundred and fifty thousand dollars wow yeah that seems really morbid like i know they were these horrible people that went across the country like killing Mm -hmm. killing people but to be like oh there's more you know what i mean there's more that just seems super morbid it's even more morbid so don't worry like these people they were still people yeah just wait i know they did some horrible things but just wait i don't know Clyde's enthusiasm for cars was evident in a letter he wrote earlier in the spring of 1934 addressed to Henry Ford himself. Quote, While I still have got breath in my lungs, I will tell you what a dandy car you make. I have drove Fords exclusively when I could get away with one. For sustained speed and freedom from trouble, the Ford has got every other car skinned, and even if my business hasn't been strictly legal, it don't hurt anything to tell you what a fine car you got in the V8. So he really liked Fords. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. According to statements made by Hinton and Alcorn, each of us six officers had a shotgun and an automatic rifle and pistols. We opened fire with automatic rifles. They were emptied before the car got even with us. Then we used our shotguns. There was smoke coming from the car and it looked like it was on fire. After shooting the shotguns, we emptied the pistols at the car, which had passed us and ran into a ditch about 50 yards on down the road. It almost turned over. But we kept shooting at the car even after it stopped. We weren't taking any chances. Dang. So, actual film footage taken by one of the deputies immediately after the ambush show 112 bullet holes in the vehicle, of which around one quarter struck the couple. So, that was just like, they were way overdoing it. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I know they wanted to be sure, but... Yeah. So, 112 divided divided by by 4... So, 28 bullets hit them. Dang. So That's the official, still a lot. That is a lot. The official coroner's report by parish coroner, Dr. J.L. Wade, listed 17 interest wounds on Barrow's body and 26 on that of Parker. Wow. 
This included several headshots on each, and one that had severed Barrow's spinal column. Dang. Which is Clyde, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Undertaker's... And you take her. <laughs> I can't talk. Undertaker C.F. Boots Bailey had difficulty embalming the bodies because of all the bullet holes. Yikes. The perpetrators had more than a dozen guns and several thousand rounds of ammunition in the Ford, including 120 round bar magazines. Wow. The deafened officers inspected the vehicle and discovered an arsenal of weapons. So now we're going to get a little bit more specific. Mm -hmm. This included stolen automatic rifles, sawed-off semi-automatic shotguns, assorted handguns, and several thousand rounds of ammunition, along with 15 sets of license plates from various states. Dang. Hamer stated, quote, I hate to bust the cap on a woman, especially when she was sitting down. However, if it wouldn't have been her, it would have been us, end quote. Mm. Oh, it would have. You act like she wouldn't have shot at them. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, maybe not then exactly. Just because she's a woman, point, she's still a criminal. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, she's still like, a criminal. A lot of people can't even see my face on the freaking video. <laughs> I've been like this the whole time. It's Sorry. Okay. Anyways, but um, women criminals just aren't that like. Mm -hmm. And you frequent, know, this, she you know? had more bullet holes in her than he did. Mm -hmm. So they wanted to make sure that. Like, she was, she was dead. dead. I think they were really scared of her because women are they criminals. Get, they can get away with more because yeah. they're women. Right. Well, at this time, for sure. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, word of the dust quickly got around when Hamer, Jordan, Oakley, and Hinton drove into town to telephone their respective bosses. A crowd soon gathered at the spot. Galt and Alcorn were left to guard the bodies, but they lost control of the crowd. One woman cut off bloody locks of Bonnie's hair and pieces from her dress, which were sold as souvenirs That's later on. That's just so gross to me. Wait. Hinton returned to find a man trying to cut off Clyde's trigger finger and was sickened by what was occurring. Oh my goodness. Also, I think... Okay, I'm, I am going to talk about it in a second. Okay, okay. Arriving at the scene, the coroner reported nearly everyone had begun collecting souvenirs such as shell casings slivers of glass from the shattered car windows, and bloody pieces of clothing from the garments of Bonnie and Clyde. One eager man had opened his pocket knife and was reaching into the car to cut off Clyde's left ear. What the fuck? His left ear, bro. These pe- that is- that's wrong. Like, these people are sick for that. That's all the entertainment they had in 1930s. That's- I mean, these- I know it's sick, but I'm just saying that's what they did They were then. horrible criminals, but like- yeah. How are you going to be like, oh, yeah, I shot her 28 times. Oh, yeah, let me let cut, me off, cut off his ear. ear yeah. as a, like, you really want this murderer's ear as a souvenir? I'm just saying. People are sick. Hinton enlisted Hamer's help in controlling the circus-like atmosphere, and they got people away from the car. The posse towed the Ford with the dead body still inside. They <laughs> took it to the Conger Furniture Store and Funeral Parlor in downtown Arcadia, Louisiana. Preliminary embalming was done by Bailey in a small town preparation room in the back of the furniture store, as it was common for furniture stores and undertakers to share the same space. I was getting ready to say, furniture store and funeral parlor. Yeah. Interesting. Evidently, they shared the same space. Interesting. The population of the northwest Louisiana town, Louisiana town reportedly swelled from 2,000 to 12,000 within hours. Because they just wanted, they wanted to see these yeah. dead bodies. Yeah. That's crazy. Curious people arrived by train, horseback, buggy, and plane. 
These people were like, I'm getting there. It's one thing to be like, oh, they're finally dead. Like, now nobody's going to die anymore. It's another thing to be like, I need to go this see the bodies. This is all the entertainment right they had, now. bro, back then. That's crazy. That type of entertainment, man. Mm-hmm. Beer normally sold for 15 cents a bottle, but it jumped to 25 cents, and sandwiches quickly sold out. Nice. Clyde had been shot in the head by a 35 Remington Model 8. Henry Barrow identified his son's body, then sat weeping in a rocking chair in the furniture section. H.D. Mm. Darby was an undertaker at the McClure Funeral Parlor, and Sophia Stone was a home demonstration agent, both from nearby Ruston. Both of them came to Arcadia to identify the bodies because the Barrow gang had kidnapped them in 1933. Wow. Bonnie reportedly had laughed when she discovered that Darby was an undertaker. She had remarked at the time that maybe someday he would be working on her, and he did assist Bailey in the embalming. Wow. Yeah. That's like full circle. For sure. Um, let's see. Bonnie Parker's grave was inscribed, As the flowers are all made sweeter by the sunshine and the dew, so this old world is made brighter by the lives of folks like you. I don't know how she came up with such good poetry, Mm-mm. being such a bad person. Bonnie and Clyde wished to be buried side by side, but the Parker family would not allow it. Her mother wanted to grant her final wish to be brought home, but the mobs surrounding the Parker house made that impossible. Wow. More than 20,000 attended Parker's funeral, and her family had difficulty reaching her gravesite. That's kind of sad. Bonnie's services were held on May 26th. Dr. Alan Campbell recalled that flowers came from everywhere, including some with cards allegedly from Pretty Boy Floyd and John Dillinger. The largest floral trip... The largest floral... That's as bad as rural. (laughs) The largest floral tribute was sent by a group of Dallas City newsboys. The sudden end of Bonnie and Clyde sold 500,000 newspapers in Dallas alone. Wow. Bonnie was buried in the Fish Trap Cemetery, although she was moved in 1945 to the new Crown Hill Cemetery in Dallas. Thousands of people gathered outside both Dallas funeral homes, hoping for the chance to view the bodies. Barrow's private funeral was held at sunset on May 25th. He was buried in Western Heights Cemetery in Dallas, next to his brother Marvin, which was Buck. The Barrow brothers share a single granite marker with their names on it and an epitaph selected by Clyde, gone but not forgotten. The bullet-riddled Ford and the shirt that Barrow was wearing have been in the casino of Whiskey Pete's in Prim, Nevada since 2011. And previously, they were on display at the Prim Valley Resort and Casino. The American National Insurance Company of Galveston, Texas, paid the insurance policies in full on Clyde and Bonnie. Since then, the policy of payouts has has changed to exclude payouts in cases of death caused by any criminal act by the insured. So they did pay it, even though they were criminals. Mm Mm-hmm. The six men of the posse were each to receive one-sixth share of the reward money, and the Dallas Sheriff Schmidt, Dallas Sheriff Schmidt, had promised Hinton that this would total some twenty-six thousand dollars. But most of the organizations that had pledged reward funds fell back on their pledges. In the end, each lawman earned two hundred dollars and twenty-three cents for his efforts and collected memorabilia. By the summer of 1934, new federal statutes made bank robbery and kidnapping federal offenses. 
The growing coordination of local authorities by FBI plus two-way radios and police cars combined to make it more difficult to carry out a series of robberies and murders than it had been just months before. Two months after Gibson, Dillinger was killed on the street in Chicago. Three months after that, Floyd was killed in Ohio. And one month after that, Babyface Nelson was killed in Illinois. And these are all, like, gangsters back in the day. Gotcha. Bonnie's niece and last surviving relative is campaigning to have her aunt buried next to Clyde. So here's some differing accounts of what happened. Gonna go through that a little bit. So... The members of the posse came from three organizations. Hamer and Galt were both former Texas Rangers, then working for the Texas Department of Corrections. Hinton and Alcorn were employees of the Dallas Sheriff's Office, and Jordan and Oakley were sheriff and deputy of Beanville Parish, Louisiana. The three duos distrusted one another and kept to themselves, and each had its own agenda in the operation and offered differing narratives of it. Simmons, the head of the Texas Department of Corrections, brought another perspective having effectively commissioned the posse. Schmidt had tried to arrest Clyde in Sowers, Texas in November 1933. Schmidt called halt, and the gunfire erupted from the outlaw car, which made a quick U-turn and sped away. Schmidt's Thompson submachine gun, or Tommy gun, jammed on the first round and he could not get off one shot. Pursuit of Clyde was impossible because the posse had parked their own cars at a distance to prevent their being seen. So, this is when they were talking about, um, they got in that shootout or whatever mm -hmm. and the gang went away, but they didn't pursue. Mm -hmm. So, this is a different account. Like, the gun got jammed. That's why they didn't pursue and their cars were far away. But they made it seem like they just didn't pursue because somebody got hurt. Yeah. So, Hamer's posse discussed calling halt, but the four Texans vetoed the idea, telling them that the killer's history had always been to shoot their way out, as had occurred in Platt City, Dexfield Park, and Sowers. When the ambush occurred, Oakley stood up and opened fire, and the other officers opened fire immediately after. Jordan was reported to have called out to Clyde. Alcorn said that Hamer called out, and Hinton claimed that Alcorn did. So, they're all like... He did it. Blaming it on it each him, other. It was him, yeah. And in another report, each said that they both did. So, so they're not keeping the story straight. No. These conflicting claims might have been collegial attempts to divert the focus from Oakley, who later admitted firing too early, but that is merely speculation. So in 1979, Hinton's account of the saga was published posthumously as Ambush, the real story of Bonnie and Clyde. His version of the Henry family's involvement in the planning and execution of the ambush was that the posse had tied Henry's father, Ivy, to a tree the previous night to keep him from warning off the couple. So, in the account we talked about earlier, mm -hmm. it said that they had convinced him to park his truck. Oh, yeah. But in this account, they're saying that they tied him to a tree. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So, Hinton claimed that Hamer made a deal with Ivy. If he kept quiet about being tied up, his son would escape prosecution for the two grapevine murders. Hinton alleged that Hamer made every member of the posse swear that they would never divulge this secret. Other accounts, however, place Ivy at the center of the action, not tied up but on the road, waving for Clyde to stop. Hinton's memoir suggests that Parker's cigar in the famous cigar photo had been a rose and that it was retouched as a cigar by darkroom staff at the Joplin Globe while they prepared the photo for publication. Hmm. So, 
old-timey Photoshop. Yeah. I don't know how much I believe that. Yeah, I don't know how effective that would be. Because, okay. So, it was... I don't know. Here's the thing. So, Bonnie told that police or the sheriff that they dropped off and gave money and a clean t-shirt uh, let people know that I don't smoke cigars. Right. Because she was being speculated to kill the, the other guy. Yeah. And that picture of the cigar photo so i don't know if it would have been a rose did they really have good photoshop back then i highly doubt it this is in the 30s this is still in the time where pictures really aren't they have to take a long time to develop yeah how do you edit a picture after it's developed yeah i don't know you know what i mean they didn't have computers so right so they'd have to do it to like the physical copy of the picture yeah i don't know how effective that would be yeah i don't know Gwen says that some people who knew Hinton suspect that he became delusional late in life. So, hmm. this guy that's making all these claims, apparently he became delusional. And doesn't know what he's talking about. Right. So, the aftermath. The posse never received the promised bounty on the perpetrators, so they were told to take whatever they wanted from the confiscated items in their car. Which, again, why would you want their possessions, but okay. Right. So, Hamer appropriated the arsenal of stolen guns and ammunition plus a box of fishing tackle under the terms of his compensation package with the Texas Department of Corrections. In July, though, Clyde's mother, Cumie, wrote to Hamer asking for the return of the guns. Quote, you don't never want to forget my boy was, ever, was never tried in no... Gosh, it's hard to read because yeah. it's a grammar. Let me restart. You don't never want to forget my boy was never tried in no court for murder and no one is guilty until proven guilty by some court. So I hope you will answer this letter and also return the guns I am asking for, end quote. But there is no record of any response whatsoever. Hmm. Alcorn claimed Clyde's saxophone from the car, but he later returned it to the Barrow family. Posse members also took other personal items such as Bonnie's clothing. Weird creeps so the parker family asked for them back but were refused and the items were later sold as souvenirs so these assholes i know they were criminals but like they're still humans and their family didn't do anything wrong right so they're like okay we would like her clothes back and they're like nope and then they sold them oh my goodness so the borrow family claimed that sheriff jordan kept an alleged suitcase of cash and writer jeff gwynn claims that jordan bought a barn and lane and land in Arcadia soon after the event, thereby hinting that the accusation had merit despite the complete absence of any evidence to the existence of such a suitcase. Hmm. So there could have been a suitcase of money, mm-hmm. but there could have not been. Right. No evidence, no proof. Either, otherwise. Yep. Jordan did attempt to keep the death car for his own, but Ruth Warren of Topeka, Kansas sued him because she was the owner of the car when Barrow stole it in, on April 29th. So, Jordan, a member of the posse, tried to keep the car, basically, but the lady was like, um, no, they stole it from me. Mm -hmm. But you know what he was going to do with it? Sell it. Sell it. Profit off of these people's Mm death. Jordan returned it to her in August of 1934, still covered with blood and human tissue. Yuck. Yeah. That's gross. Mm Mm-hmm. So, Henry Methvin escaped prosecution for the two grapevine Texas murders because of his father, Ivy's cooperation with the posse. Mm -hmm. But he was prosecuted for other crimes in Oklahoma where he was convicted and did serve eight years. Um, 
Blanche never carried a gun, but she was convicted of attempted murder and served six years. But she didn't kill nobody? Nope. She never even carried a gun. But she was convicted of attempted murder? Yep. Interesting. Because she was riding around with the gang. Oh, yeah. Not accomplice to murder? I guess not. Isn't that a charge? I don't know. Accomplice? I don't know. Yeah, accomplice to a crime. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In February 1935, Dallas and federal authorities arrested and tried 20 family members and friends for aiding and abetting Clyde and Bonnie. What the actual fuck? Yeah. This became known as the harboring trial, and all 20 either pleaded guilty or were found guilty. The two mothers were jailed for 30 days. Other sentences ranged from two years imprisonment for Floyd Hamilton, brother of Raymond, to one hour in custody for uh, Clyde's teenage sister, Marie. Like, how the fuck is she guilty? She didn't do anything. Yeah, that's... I don't know what the point in doing all that is. I don't either. I don't, I don't, it's they're stupid. doing so much. Yeah. Like... I don't get it. Your teen... They're his teenage sister. Yeah. Didn't do anything. No. Just existed. Mm-hmm. And they're gonna... So they're like, oh, you gotta spend an hour. an hour in jail. That's pointless. It's like a scared straight tactic or something. Yeah. So, other defendants... Included Blanche, Jones, Methvin, and Parker's sister, Billy. So, Blanche was permanently blinded in her left eye during the 1933 shootout at Dexfield Park, and she was taken into custody on the charge of assault with intent to kill. But earlier said attempted murder. Mm -hmm. She was convicted and sentenced to 10 years in prison, but was paroled in 1939 for good behavior. She returned to Dallas, leaving her life of crime in the past, and lived with her invalid father as his caregiver. In 1940, she married Eddie Frazier, worked as a taxi cab dispatcher and a beautician, and completed the terms of her parole one year later. She lived in peace with her husband until he died of cancer in 1969. Mm -hmm. So she had two husbands and died. So, Warren Beatty approached... I don't know who her is. Oh, Blanche. My bad. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Warren Beatty approached her to purchase the rights to her name for use in the 1967 film Bonnie and Clyde, and she agreed to the original script. However, she objected to her characterization by Estelle Parsons in the final film, describing the actress's Academy Award-winning portrayal of her as a screaming horse's ass. Oh. She did not like it. Apparently. Uh, despite this, she maintained a firm friendship with Beatty or Betty. I can't remember. Beatty. She died from cancer at age 77 on December 24th, 1988, and was buried in Dallas Groves Hill Memorial Park under the name Blanche B. Frazier. W.D. Jones served six years in prison, convicted of one murder, indicted for another, and suspected of an additional two committed as a juvenile. This dude only served six years. Man. So, Clyde's other criminal friends, Hamilton and Palmer, who escaped East Ham in January 1934, were recaptured. Both were convicted of murder and executed in the electric chair at Huntsville, Texas on May 10th of 1935. Dang. W.D. Jones had left uh, Clyde and Bonnie six weeks after the three of them evaded officers at Dexfield Park in 1933. Um, He reached Houston and got a job picking cotton where he was soon discovered and captured. So that's where he went when Mm -hmm. he left. He was returned to Dallas where he dictated a confession in which he claimed to have been kept prisoner by Clyde and Bonnie. So he was playing victim. Right. Some of the more 
lurid lies that he told concerned the gang's sex lives, and this testimony gave rise to many stories about Clyde's ambiguous sexuality. Oh. W.G. Jones was convicted of the murder of Doyle Johnson and served a lenient sentence of 15 years for that. Okay. He gave an interview to Playboy magazine during an excitement surrounding the 1967 movie, saying that in reality it had not been glamorous at all. He was killed on August 4th of 1974 in a misunderstanding by the jealous boyfriend of a woman whom he was trying to help. Oh, shit. So now we're going to talk about Henry. Henry was convicted in Oklahoma of the 1934 murder of Constable Campbell at Converse. He was paroled in 1942 and killed by a train in 1948. Dang. He fell asleep drunk on the tracks, although some have speculated that he was pushed by someone in seeking revenge. His father, Ivy, was killed in 1946 by a hit-and-run driver. Bonnie's husband, Roy Thornton, was sentenced to five years in prison for burglary in March 1933, and he was killed by guards on October 3, 1937, during an escape from the East Ham prison. Hmm. Now we're going to talk about Oakley, uh, the guy that fired too soon. Mm-hmm. He admitted that he did later on. And... He did become sheriff of Beanville Parish in 1940. Nice. So in 1958, Bonnie was portrayed in the media as a dominant tough girl who ran a gang of several subservient men, such as in the Barrow or the Bonnie Parker story. Hamer returned to a quiet life as a freelance security consultant for oil companies. According to Gwyn, his reputation suffered somewhat after Gibsland. So after. The whole Bonnie and Clyde thing. Mm -hmm. And it's because many people felt that he had not given Clyde and Bonnie a fair chance to surrender. Mm -hmm. He made headlines again in 1948 when he and Governor Coke Stevenson unsuccessfully challenged the vote total achieved by Lyndon Johnson during the election for the U.S. Senate. He died in 1955 at the age of 71 after several years of poor health. Alcorn, another member of the posse, died on May 23, 1964, 30 years to the day after the Gibsland ambush. Wow. Um, the bullet-riddled Ford became a popular traveling attraction. The car was displayed at fairs, amusement parks, and flea markets for three decades and once became a fixture at the Nevada racetrack. I mean, I'm not going to lie. It would be cool to see the car. Oh, for sure. I've but seen Ted Bundy's car. It. Really? Yeah. Where? Tennessee. Where's it at? Uh, the Alcatraz Museum. Oh, we didn't get the chance to go there. Ted Bundy's car is in there. Oh. Also, O.J. Simpson's Bronco is there. Really? Yeah, the one that he said he was going to commit suicide in. Mm-hmm. Um, John Wayne Gacy's clown costumes are there. I want to go there so bad. It's really cool. Mm-hmm. Well, so at the beginning, it's like all the gangsters, like John Dillinger and all this. Like the Barrow Gang mm-hmm. is in there, too. Mm-hmm. So it starts at, like, the beginning of gangsters and the like time. the history of yeah so it starts with those type of people and then it the gets chronicle- to like chronological order yeah kind of then it gets to like the chicago gangsters and the top five families of gangsters in chicago that still run chicago today wow. and then it talks about other stuff it's really cool um it's a lot of reading so if you don't like to read honestly by the end of it austin and i were just skimming Looking. as fast yeah. as possible but then it talks about like forensics and stuff at the end oh it also shows like the twin towers and stuff well wow. yeah it's really cool and it has like this whole board of um people wrote what they were doing when 
they saw that that happened and stuff. It mm-hmm. was really cool. Nice. Yeah. So, we're talking about the car. Um, there was a charge of $1 you could sit in the car. Hmm. So, the Ford was sold between casinos after being displayed in a Las Vegas car museum in the 1980s. It was shown in Iowa, Missouri, and Nevada. And we talked about how, since 2011, the Ford has been in dis- on display at Whiskey Pete's, a hotel and casino in Prim, Nevada, near the border between California and Nevada, along Interstate 15. And that's where it is today. Yep. So, um, Texas Rangers, Troopers, and Department of Public Safety staff honored Patrolman Edward Brian Wheeler, which was killed by the Barrow Gang, on April 1st. 2011, the 77th anniversary of the Grapevine murders when the Barrow Gang murdered him on Easter Sunday. So, they presented the Yellow Rose of Texas commendation to his last surviving sibling, 95-year-old Ella Wheeler McLeod of San Antonio, giving her a plaque and a framed portrait of her brother. Weird. Yeah, that is but. weird. Sorry, there was a cord over there that, like, fell behind the desk, and I saw it out of the corner of my eye. Oh, no, you're good. You're good. So, yeah, um, when Clyde and Bonnie died, pretty much everybody wanted to see their bodies. Their bodies yeah. were literally on display for people to see. That's ridiculous. Like, I know they were criminals, and they yeah. wanted to, like, There's pictures. Them, There's but. pictures of their bodies on display. Mm-hmm. People That's looking crazy. at their bodies. I would post those, but I don't know if they would get taken down. I don't know if you guys want to see that. So, if you want to look, just look up Bonnie and Clyde funeral or something like that, and it'll come up, and you will you can see it if you want to. But I'm about to look it up. Honestly, I just kind of stumbled upon it, and I didn't mean to. It'd be cool to go see their grave sites. Oh, for I sure. Think. Especially after doing all the research mm-hmm. on this. Yeah, if you um, watch The Highwaymen on mm-hmm. Netflix... Mm-hmm. It's, um, it doesn't go into, like, the backstory behind them or anything. Yeah. It talks about, like, their final run, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and how they went about, like, catching them and stuff. And it's gotcha. really cool to see, like, because it's from the perspective of, like, the officers. Gotcha. What they were talking about and how they were doing things mm-hmm. to figure out where they were going to do it. Right. And it even showed, like, um, him putting his truck on the side of the road. Like, he was mm-hmm. broke down trying to get you know trap them and stuff gotcha. but in the movie they like pulled up and paused and then Clyde and Bonnie were Clyde and Bonnie were kind of sitting there like what the fuck mm-hmm. is going on and then after a couple seconds they started shooting well so, ev- evidently the car didn't even stop they saw him coming and they just started shooting. yeah well that one guy shot prematurely yeah I do think it's I understand that they were going to try to go out with a bang regardless, but it would have been cool if they would have been alive and could have, like, recounted their whole story. Like, interviewed them. There's not much from their point of view. Yeah. So. I mean, they were going to die either way. If they got, well, if they sure. were captured, they yeah. would have been, um. Would have been a little bit more humane, but I think yeah. they went out the Bonnie and Clyde way. Yeah. I mean. Very over the top. Yep. With a bang. Basically. Yep. Pretty Literally. much. So, guys, that's it for Bonnie and Clyde Part 1 and 2. That was good. Next week, look out for my episode. It's going to yep. be good. I Michelle's been teasing me about it. I'm interested to see what... It actually relates to one of Kirsten's Storytime episodes, so... Mm. Just, just be on Branching the lookout. Branching off of them, huh? Just be on the lookout. Alrighty. Alright, guys, I appreciate you listening to my rambling. And we'll uh, see you in the next one.
Don't forget to subscribe to our Patreon. There's fun stuff on there, I promise. Bye. Bye.